What's up, my lovely ladies and gentlemen, friends? Welcome to the show. Today, I am excited to do an interview with a good friend of mine, Mr. Luke Story. Luke is a podcaster, a very successful podcaster at that, and an investigative researcher of all things strange related to biohacking, life hacking, health and well-being, spirituality, and etc. Luke is also a Soltara alumni. So we get into his healing experience at Soltara Healing Center here in Costa Rica. We also talk about why he moved from California to Texas and some of the cultural undercurrents of the day that were part of that move for him. We also discuss his Soltara healing experience, which ultimately led him into his new wonderful relationship with his new wonderful fiance, Allison Charles. So really great conversation. I'm super excited to be able to post this today and I hope you like it. And if you do like it, please, of course, as always, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, as well as uh, subscribe. Always helps out. You can subscribe on YouTube. Always really helpful to us and we really appreciate it. Don't cost you nothing. Helps us out a lot. So thanks a lot. And of course, this podcast is sponsored by Soltara Healing Center, a Shipibo Ayahuasca healing retreat in Costa Rica. If you feel called to work with this amazing medicine from the Amazon jungle, then hit us up. We're on social media at Soltara Healing Center. We are online at soltara.co. And of course, if you're more of an in-person talker kind, you can just give us a call conveniently at 1-800-397-1730. Now, without further ado, I bring to you my friends, my friend, Luke Story. Please enjoy the show. Mr. Luke Story, my friend, my role model for podcasting, alumni of Soltara Healing Center, wicked guy, musician, student of the strange and alternative news feed. Welcome to the show, man. Happy to be speaking with you. We have tried to organize this conversation like 20 times, <laughs> but uh, one of the perils of success is not having time, right? So yeah, thank, and thank you for your patience. You know, this, this project came at a very strange time, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about in my exodus from California to Texas. And so, uh, wow, I've, I've, I've never moved more than like five miles in my life or well, I guess since I was an adult rather. And, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been quite a journey. So I'm glad we're able to actually find the time today. Yeah, man. Well, let, let's start there. I mean, I've been, you know, I follow your page. Um, you've been posting a lot about your experience, your evolution in LA and the evolution of LA and the changes that have been going on there in the past, you know, couple of years or few years based on your experience, you know, maybe get into that a little bit. And then your move to Texas across the country, setting up with your new wife and the, the, the difference in the vibe, you know, I'm seeing a lot actually in in the feeds from people that I follow on the news and, you know, Patrick, Bet David, uh, from value talks a lot about the, the kind of difference 
Um, Elon Musk has moved out to Texas. Joe Rogan moved out to Texas. Tim Ferriss moved out to Texas. So what's the deal with this mass exodus? <laughs> well, I can't speak for any of those fellows, but uh, for myself, I've been wanting to leave LA for a good five years. And I had some things to sew up there. I own another, another business, totally unrelated, an online fashion school called School of Style that I've had for 12 years. And, uh, and then, of course, my podcast and all the public speaking and different things that I do. And it was just, it was necessary for different reasons to stay a bit longer than I would have liked to. But I've been for the past two years on the Zillow real estate app, like it's like crack Tinder kind of situation. I mean, I'm just like constantly refreshing, have my saved locations that I might think about living somewhere to just get more space and... In California or in Texas? Uh, I was looking everywhere. My, my search included, you know, Santa Barbara, Ojai, Big Sur, Joshua Tree, uh, Sedona, Hawaii, Costa Rica, Bali... Uh, Florida, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. I mean, I was I was being very open-minded and just waiting for something to come in that hit me strongly. And then during the course of that, my former friend and now uh, fiance, not quite wife, Allison Charles and I uh, connected in this way. And she moved to LA and moved in with me and was really excited to move to California finally after spending 15 years in Brooklyn. And she got there and I uh, informed her, well, hey, welcome to California. I want to leave. <laughs> you know, so uh, luckily, you know, she's a team player. So the search started to become narrow because she didn't want to move to, you know, the middle of nowhere in Idaho or something. And frankly, I didn't either. So a lot of the spots that we looked at were eliminated by the fact that they have really harsh winters and tons of snow, which I'm not down with. Uh, I've been there, done that. It's just not, not something I enjoy uh, surviving. So that was kind of in the works. But then when the COVID situation started to unravel <laughs> and you had, um, you know, these authoritarian lockdowns and just really such a breach of the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, our fundamental personal liberty as citizens of the United States uh, started to unfold it became abundantly clear that California was going to be one of the most totalitarian, totalitarian uh, rather, um, spots to be. And so as that started to kind of worsen and things became more clear to me that, you know, I still don't know exactly what's going on, obviously, because I'm not at the root of this uh, situation, but it became clear that what we were being told was definitely not true. And, uh, so then I started looking into the different states that in terms of their um, legislation around this so-called pandemic uh, were the most lenient. And uh, no, none of them were lenient at first, but then I started looking at some of the different states that were kind of reluctantly going on board with all of this. And, you know, through a long course of observing all of that and studying, it uh, ended up being that Texas and Arizona and Florida were kind of places where we guessed we could probably find some community, which is so important to both of us. And really that's at the root of a lot of the problem that we're facing with this situation is, is us being disconnected from one another and forced to communicate via Zoom and not being able to hug each other and be in communion, ceremony, connection. Uh, so we wanted somewhere where there'd be a few like-minded people, somewhere where the weather was relatively forgiving in the winter. 
And, uh, and we ended up going to Sedona, Arizona for two months. And I thought for sure that would be the spot because I love mm. it there. I've, I've always loved to visit. And we, we did two months there, man, and really gave it a fair trial. And we just didn't feel at home there. We just mm. did not feel grounded, didn't feel centered. Uh, I was never a huge fan of the idea of Florida. I mean, God bless the, the residents of Florida. It's just culturally never been a place I particularly felt at home in, although I do love the weather and the fact that you have you know, ocean on, I guess, three sides, two long sides and one short side. And I love the ocean. So uh, that was appealing, but I just couldn't really see myself in any of the cities or places that I've been there. So the next stop after we went to Sedona and decided that that was not a fit um, was Texas. And I'd been to Austin a few times uh, for work, although I'd never really been outside of the city to explore much of the countryside and hill country, which is where we ended up moving. Town nice. called Lakeway, which is about uh, 25, 30 minutes outside of the city. And we came over Christmas, man, and it was crazy because, you know, you still had you still had the mask mandates and all of this silliness. But um, <laughs> you know, we we didn't stay in downtown Austin. Downtown Austin is quite uh, full of people that really enjoy being controlled and having their rights uh, taken from them. But outside of Austin, people do not like that. And so we we landed the first night, stayed in an area called Dripping Springs, which is about 25 minutes um, kind of west of downtown Austin. And we were starving and we went out to find something to eat. We just found like a barbecue place. We walk in, there's a band playing like classic rock cover bands. No one's wearing masks. People are drinking, having fun. Everyone's happy. People look you in the eyes and we just looked at each other like, huh, this is different. Um, so there was, you know, there was that. I mean, really just politically, it seemed like when and if things were going to ease up, this would be one of the first places. Um, and they have, uh, you know, generally speaking, a more conservative government here. So there's more adherence to the constitution and the principles that really, you know, help to create the amazing country that we have here. And so... Uh, things like the First and Second Amendment are really important to me. Uh, not because, you know, I'm someone that's terribly into firearms. It's not like a, a, a big hobby of mine, but uh, I would like to be able to defend myself against tyranny should it unfold any further, which it certainly seems to be. Uh, I feel a lot more secure with the ability to own a firearm legally and not have the government up my ass um, with the way that you're having to register them like you do in California and things like that. So I guess all that's to say, just I just wanted more freedom yeah. and I wanted more space. And when we got out here, uh, just the community here is just incredible. There's a convergence of frequency of people here that is so obvious. There's an attractor field for some reason uh, to this place on earth right now that we call Austin, Texas. And it's um, people that I really identify with. It's people that value uh, things about liberal culture that I appreciate, great food, art, freedom of expression, acceptance of all people, uh, non-judgment, non-discriminatory, respecting human rights and life and all of those things that I cherish as a Californian, right? Yeah. Um, music, film, arts, museums, parks, nature, like all the things that hippie Luke likes yeah. seem to be here and be valued by those people. But in everywhere else in the state surrounding Austin, you have people that are more conservative and are generally uh, 
you know, this is a generalization in a big way, but really into just being left alone. And, uh, and you have Christian values here kind of at the foundation of uh, the state. So we found Austin to be kind of a mix of, of both of what we love about um, the American culture. And so uh, that was a huge draw, but also just interpersonally. I mean, so many of my friends here, you know, Aubrey Marcus and Christine Hassler and um, yeah, I mean, just so many people, I probably forget to, to mention them all, but just people that I've gotten to know over the past few years that are just really great people, people that are doing the work, man. And there's so many people in personal development here too, just our peers professionally are people that are really making amazing contributions to, um, to our collective humanity through the work that they're doing. And they're very successful in doing it. And they're people that are really into breathwork, meditation, fitness, biohacking, plant medicines, like all the things that have really helped me not only heal, but to really evolve and become a much better and fully integrated person. That's what people are really into here in the circles that I run in. And there's such a depth of concentration of those type of people. Whereas in LA, you have people that are into all of that, but we're much more scattered and uh, I don't know. There isn't like a sense of community there, maybe because there's so much to do. There's just, it's such a huge city. And, you know, you have friends that are into that, but to keep a community really alive and well was a much more difficult in that way. And um, and the division that was created by this, uh, <laughs> this I don't I never know what to call it, <laughs> this thing, because I don't, I truly don't believe it's a pandemic personally. Uh, if we were in a pandemic, uh, all of the funeral homes would be full. You would see ambulances everywhere. The homeless population would be decimated. Uh, there would be indications that there actually was something really dangerous going on. Uh, and I don't see any indication of that other than people being forced to wear masks. But in Los Angeles, I think because you have a lot of very caring people that are more liberally minded, as I've always been, um, I think people that care about people are more easily deceived into being afraid of something that is not real. Guilted and, so, and shamed. Uh, yeah, so I found myself in California being able to not really speak freely amongst even some of my friends and people that were kind of in that community. Whereas out here, you don't have to agree with everyone and not everyone that I know here agrees with my point of view all the way. And I love that. I don't, I don't want to be around, around a bunch of yes people. Like challenge me on my ideas, you know, prove me wrong. I would love it, you know. Uh, but that was, you know, in summary, just some of the things that uh, I think were really apparent to us when we came here over Christmas for two weeks. We just, you know, we were invited to so many gatherings and people were so kind and, um, you know, welcoming of us. And they're just people that are interested in doing deep work, having deep conversations, people that I could potentially partner with and and support and get support from. And I don't know what it is. You know, you mentioned some of those bigger players that have moved here and I don't know their reasons, but there there certainly is a, a very specific frequency of mindset for people that are either from here, live here, or have recently, like myself and Allison, moved here. And so just instantly we felt at home and just felt a greater sense of freedom. And um, and it's proven itself to be true, especially because I don't live in Austin. I live, as I said, out in the, out in the, uh, the sticks, kind of outside by Lake Travis. And uh, I don't wear a mask anywhere. Uh, I went to home, uh, not Home Depot, where to go Whole Foods a couple times, and they they had three or four people on me like I'm a terrorist with a suicide bomb walking in there, and I just thought, okay, fuck Whole Foods, then I'm just not coming here, and I don't and haven't and won't until they knock it off. So you know, I just order order in, 
you know, things that I, that I need. Uh, I went hunting. I procured some of my own meat after I was here for two weeks and that has helped. Uh, and, um, yeah, I just live my life. Like everything's exactly the same as it was. And, and like I said, I, I believe that if everyone did that, things would be exactly like they were. <laughs> you know, yeah. What makes them not like that is the fact that people own televisions. And right. that, that's the true pandemic to me is the media. It's the mainstream media. I'm, I'm on Instagram here, probably going to get kicked <laughs> off here. <laughs> probably get deplatformed any minute. I posted something today. I didn't even say anything that I'm saying now. It was just about, it, I was just quoting uh, this guy, Zuby, who's a musician from the UK. And he just said something like, if this were a real pandemic, X, Y, and Z wouldn't be happening or something like that. And immediately they're like, to learn more information yeah. about COVID-19, click... I'm like, wow, these bots are getting smarter. I'm going to have to find a way to, to uh, e- evade them even further. Or you know what? Just kick me off. Fuck you, Instagram. You know what I mean? It's like my life will go on. I'm not, I'm not going to cow down and pretend like I believe in something that I don't. You know. So um, I'm just living my best life. And I've, I feel so much compassion for people that have been terrorized by this onslaught uh, that the powers that be seem intent on um, pushing on us, you know, but, uh, I do my best to just kind of stay out of the media race and just, you know, help to empower myself and people that I interact with and through the content that I create just to wake people up. Like what you guys are doing yeah, at Soltara. Absolutely, man. I mean, I don't know. I, to me, it's like, I'm gonna get your take on this. I, I'm always hesitant to recommend plant medicines to widespread, you know, just everyone needs to do it, uh, because it, it it's something that, needs to be done with reverence, as you know, and intentionality. Yeah. And I don't know that everyone is psychologically up for Definitely some of not. these deeper experiences either. But I have to admit, if I'm fully honest, my fantasy is that I could just spray Washington, D.C. with DMT dust <laughs> <laughs> for like two weeks. I just, I think so many of the people that are, that are seemingly in control of us as a civilization and so many of us that just blindly like sheep walk into the net of that control, I really do feel that plant medicines are, are one of the ways in which we are going to increasingly become more free and be more autonomous in our ways of thinking and interfacing with the world. I know in my experience, I see things so differently and, um, and also have so much more compassion for people who are and have been victimized by the situation, including myself and those that I love and, and especially those that I don't agree with, the people that have a different point of view. I mean, I understand, man, when you don't have a way to, <laughs> to zoom out in your witness observer perspective, it's very difficult to escape the confines of the myopic point of view that is being pushed upon us. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I don't, I don't even know how someone could really do that without having something very jarring, like a plant medicine experience or years and years of meditation to help one to unplug and make up their own mind. So yeah, that's, man. so that's kind of a nutshell of the, you know, the Genesis that brought me uh, and, and both, I and Allison here to uh, Texas and the things we're enjoying about it. And uh, it feels really good to be a little more free. And I'm not one that's, you know, s- celebrating uh, the governor's releasing the uh, the mask mandate here as much as many, because I don't think it ever should have been done in the first place. So it's mm. sort of like giving the slaves a crumb, you know, it's just yeah. like, you know, you get some meat with your rice tonight. It's like, well, I shouldn't have been getting meat all along. You know what I mean? It's uh 
but it's better than nothing. You know, I mean, if you're going to be somewhere and be treated like a prisoner in your own home, well, it's better to be somewhere that at least is allowing you some micro freedoms along the way. Man, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's one of the reasons why I've been so grateful to be in Costa Rica this whole time, because, you know, there were a few months of, of really strict lockdowns until they realized that basically you just can't lock down the country forever because everyone's going to go hungry. Um, so they, they started loosening things up and it's been a dream to be here basically throughout, you know, aside from the first few months, I haven't been home to Canada in a year and a half, maybe almost two years. It'd be two years in September. I just, I have not had the interest in going home with, with such strict regulations and a lot of the guilting and shaming and stuff like that. And that's been, to me, it's very interesting to look at this objectively and see how this has really, I don't want to use the term divided, but it's been interesting to watch where people gravitate to in the world and in the United States as a microcosm. Because in the States, you have like these different states that are basically different countries with different values. And you see a lot of people, maybe, you know, I don't know, more independent thinkers, more entrepreneurial people, the companies that, you know, that have gravitated toward Texas and Florida, where you have, I think, a higher value placed on freedom, as you explained, which is similar. I share that same value. And although I don't think that was one of the primary motivations for Costa Rica opening things up early, I think it was more related to economics that they just had to, or else they were going to lose their whole tourism sector. Um, and, you know, people just don't walk around with a hundred grand in savings here to ride out a few months of, of, uh, you know, lockdowns. Um, so they have to work. A lot of people are kind of paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth working, and they depend on those tourism jobs. But because I, I value freedom so much, I, I was in, in very deep support of Costa Rica and, and the way they handled this thing uh, after the first real, real severe uh, lockdowns. But then, you know, in the States, it's like you've got people that are gravi- you You've got people vocalizing the, their desire for freedom and their value being placed on freedom. And you've got people going to the parts of the country that, that boast greater personal freedom and, and liberty. And that also, you know, you look at like Mexico, for example, you know, I've, I've been to Tulum. Uh, I was in Tulum in December and they basically just walk around saying there's no pandemic here, you know, and Jesse, uh, my producer here and uh, Melissa, my co-founder, were just in Tulum last week, actually. And, you know, it was just pretty light and, everybody's cool. Mexico is cool. So you've got these different countries around the world that are operating differently and kind of seeing a bit of a migration there. A lot of people are coming to Costa Rica now and uh, in the States too. So it's interesting, man. And then the Austin, it's kind of like what you described. It's almost like a progressive city without being progressive. Like it's, it's progressive without, without the, what would you call, what would you call it? The, uh... It's almost, uh, to me, it's like there's, and not with everyone, of course, there are both sides of, uh, you know, extreme points of view on both sides. But 
I would say, generally speaking, at least the circles I run in, I don't know that there's a name for us, but maybe centrist might be appropriate. And I don't even know in the in the truest definition of that word in a political sense. But me personally, I love all races of people. Uh, I love whoever you want to have sex with, whatever gender you want to change yourself into, like go fucking nuts. Yeah. I'm all about you expressing yourself. Uh, if one's behavior is not harming other people, I'm all for it. I love the arts. I, you know, I mean, my mom was born and raised in Berkeley. I grew up in uh, the Bay Area. I, I always thought I was a liberal my whole life. I mean, I never voted because I just didn't be- believe in the political system. Uh, I, it, to me, it's just a big theater act. Um, with kind of two masks on the same face and they swap one out and the same things happen. We just keep going to war and devastating, you know, the indigenous peoples around the world. And I'm on board with all that. I've always been pro-peace, pro-human rights, equality, all that. Yet at the same time, what has made this country, one of the things that made it what it is, is the fact that we have this thing called the Constitution of the United States of America. And basically what that is, is it's a a record of some fundamental spiritual principles by which the country was founded on. Now, that isn't to say that obviously this country has a dark history like so many countries in which, hey, there were already people living here doing just fine. And some other people came and said, your shit is our shit now because we have more guns and more people, right? And so I'm not ignorant of that fact, but it is what it is, right? But I think because this country was founded throughout all of its errors uh, that I just described and and many more, slavery, all of this, uh, there were principles in place here that really created the culture that allowed the best and brightest people from all over the world, from all of the cultures to immigrate here, my ancestors included. And it's those brave and creative people that really created this incredible country that has had so many amazing innovations and um, so much true progressivism in terms of human yeah. rights. And so there are so many wonderful things about this country. And the thing I think that makes me not perhaps a, a true liberal in, in the sense is that uh, I do believe in conserving American values and the good parts of what made America an incredible place and still is an incredible place. It's the people and it's it's the rule of law and the adherence to those fundamental principles that makes and can, will continue hopefully to make this country a safe haven for people from around the world that want to come and do something incredible with their lives and make a contribution to humanity. And so in that sense, you could say that I'm conservative because I believe in conserving the things that are good about our society, right? Yeah. And our society, and I'm not even a Christian person, but Many of the tenets that our society was founded on are, I mean, they're labeled as Christian principles, but they're really just fundamental spiritual principles, principles of fairness, equality, uh, you know, the rule of law, the right to a fair trial if you've been accused of breaking the law, uh, and fundamentally, especially these two, the fundamental right to speak your mind and express yourself as a sovereign human being. And that's to me, one of the biggest travesties about all of this that's going on is really the suppression of speech. And there are many people online that I don't agree with at all. And I would be horrified if their speech was censored. I might not agree, but I really respect their right to speak their mind. And that and 
uh, also the right to protect yourself from tyranny. And I think many people think of the Second Amendment as some defense for mass shooters or crazy hunters or, you know, criminals. But the fact is, is that that principle was put in the U.S. Constitution not to defend us from one another, but to, uh, to defend us from the tyranny of government that if government ever became too big and too authoritarian, that individual citizens would have the right to defend their liberties, right? Yeah. Their freedom, such as the freedom to express themselves and to live th their lives in a way that they so choose. And, and any country that has restricted those two rights historically uh, has ended up in a tailspin of mass genocide under the guise of socialism that evolved into communism. And I mean, one just has to look at 100 million deaths in the last 100 million or 100 years, 120 years, whatever the numbers are, something close to that, that have come as a result of uh, nations not having a constitution like we have to protect the citizenry from the overlords that control society, you know? And I don't know how this turned into this kind of conversation, but <laughs> I guess it's just like, you know, we're talking about, well, what, you know, what makes this sort of, this group mind or hive mind in the most positive sense of people here in Texas. And, you know, even when you get out into the sticks here, I mean, you just see Trump signs everywhere. And many people think, oh my God, it's just, it's a bunch of crazy rednecks that are racist. And I don't know, man, I go out in the country and people seem just as nice, if not nicer, as they are in the cities where you see Biden signs all over the place, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if those people would be open to gay people or if any of them are racist or what their beliefs are, but I don't know. I pull in the gas station out in the country in Texas. People are super nice. And I get the sense people out there just kind of want to be left alone and they're going to leave you alone. Yeah. And that's fundamentally how... I prefer to live my life. I just want to do my thing, man. I'm not out to hurt anyone. I'm just trying to live my life, you know, make a living, have a family, you know, yeah. have some fun, get out into nature. Like I don't, I'm not one that's trying to really mix it up and create problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if I can't go on my social media and say like, hey, there might be some health risks of this inoculation uh, without being labeled a, a domestic terrorist, you know, it's like, what what's happening then, right? Yeah. So I think uh, I think here and and many other places, and you know, I'll tell you what, dude. There are a lot more people that think like this than let on For because sure. of the fear that's created. No one wants to be the first one to be outspoken. When I go in Home Depot down the street, I'm usually the only guy without a mask, and I see people looking at me with their mask kind of half on, which tells me like they don't believe they're going to die from breathing in germs in Home Depot either. But they're afraid to do it because they don't want to be the one person that you know, is judged or called out or ostracized or that is, is being seen as someone who doesn't care about other people and the, the welfare of others and the common good and all that. And I don't care about anything more than the common good, but the common good comes from individualism, yeah. not collectivism. Collectivism, ultimately, if you look at history, ends up harming more people than rugged individualism, which is what this country was founded upon. So... Yeah. A lot more people than we're aware of understand what's going on and they either don't have a platform with which to talk about it or they do and they're afraid to talk about it or they just don't recognize their own power, the strength in each individual's person, person's ability to stand up to tyranny and just say no 
if enough people said no, none of this would be happening. Because yeah. there are far more people that would say no, that are saying no, than there are that are saying, yes, yes, master, how many masks should I wear? Should I live in a bubble? And have a, do you see the baby born the other day in a plastic bag? I don't know if you saw that on I social media. Know. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's literally like not touching the mother, just born into a, a plastic bag, like truly born into the matrix, you know? That's horrifying. There are far fewer people that are indoctrinated into this idea that we must live in fear uh, than there are people who are like, well, I'm just going along with this because I don't want, I don't want to get called out, right. you know? So, or guilted or shamed. It's like there's, I, I I'm totally on board with you with with the the values you discussed. It's like, um, I've always also been a liberal. Grew up in Canada. Always supported the Liberal Party. A lot of the conservative values repulsed me because it used to be the conservatives that were the judgmental ones that, you know, were like liberalism used to be like live and let live. You know, I'm going to do my thing, whatever I want to do, you know, um, is 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 fine. Um, You know, people's sexual orientation, people's uh, freedom to experiment with their consciousness people's freedom to choose religion and, and or no religion or atheism, you know, all that stuff used to be kind of what, what the conservative, what back when I was younger, like what the conservatives would, would judge, you know, and it's kind of like, there's just this element where liberalism became like progressive and it, it almost starts to get oppressive. That's the word I was looking for before where it's like, yeah, you know, like I believe in all the liberal values and, totally cool with, you know, every race, creed, color, religious orientation, sexual orientation, whatever, man, I'm cool with all that. But then when you get to a point where like trying to balance out the statistics by compelling behavior and compelling speech and forcing people to live in a certain way that, you know, the politicians are, are, are trying to appease the percentage of people who, you know, believe in equality and stuff like that. So like, I also believe in equality, but then how do you get to equality? Is it by repressing people who are, you know, winning at life? Is it, is it repressing people who are statistically more successful so that it balances out with people who are statistically less successful? I don't know if that's the (laughs) right way to get there. You know what I mean? And so that's just like the kind of cultural, cultural experience we're all living right now. And some people just feel hooked into that movement. And, you know, uh, uh, there's just a lot of guilt and shame and repression and compulsion in that movement, which is, that's just a line I'm not willing to cross. You know, I've never considered myself a conservative. I probably still don't consider myself a conservative. I consider myself probably a traditional liberal, right? But then now you've got like, you've got this next level thing going on right now, which is, you know, just a place I'm... I'm not stoked to walk. And then, like you said, speaking out about things and voicing, voicing our real thoughts and real opinions in the age of guilt and shame and censorship and, and, uh, you know, repression of, of free speech and, and all that kind of stuff and forced adherence to the, the government narrative, the mainstream narrative, the elite narrative, um, is, is treacherous. And, you know, just the other day, I posted a story and I didn't even mention COVID-19 or pandemic or, or vaccines or anything like that. And even just like subtle, you know, hinting at the subject and there was the warning going out to anybody who saw my stories, you know, and weirdly enough, you know, 
lost some followers too. So, um, you know, it, it is, it is a bit treacherous, but at the same time, <laughs> it's important, man. It's important that, you know, people like you, you know, JP Sears, I really respect him. Aubrey, I really respect him. Joe Rogan, you know, um, Patrick, Bet David speaking, you know, researched facts and intelligent discussion that just is looking at things objectively and not just swallowing the mainstream narrative with a pinch of salt, you know, because it's been fed to you. So props to you, man, for, for standing up and, and, and I think people are gravitating toward it. You know, we're certainly, certainly finding like there'd be people who listen to this, who give us tons of props on this conversation because people are just craving like some, some real legit, honest conversations that, that, that don't just kind of fall into the mainstream narrative. Right. Yeah. You know, I've observed, uh, Daniel, and I don't know that this is correct, but it's my observation that people that are very heart centered, that I would say would be um, largely folks that lean more liberal, like me and you, because we have a high degree of empathy for others, we have compassion for others, and we've been turned off by the the right wing churches of our youth. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, you, you're into metal, right? When I was a kid, I was a metalhead and all the Christians would come out against Black Sabbath or whatever it yeah. was. And, you know, I was like, they were all the George Bushes and, you know, all of that was what I was always against. And so, because I cared about people and I didn't like seeing these endless wars in the Middle East and, and going back to Vietnam and, and all of it, you know, it's just nonsense. I, I care about people. I love people. I think people that are wired more that way, that are more heart-led people and not as calculated intellectually, are much easier deceived. Yeah. Because we can't perceive that the elected officials, so-called leaders that run and control all facets of human society would ever have nefarious intentions against us. Because we don't have those sort of intentions against others. It's like, if you're not a sociopath, it's very difficult to fathom the motivation and the reality of existence of sociopaths, especially if they're the ones that you're looking to for leadership, if they're the ones that you're looking to to manage cultural norms and society. So when you have a guy like David Icke come out 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I think I got into his work 20 years ago and so much of it rang true to me that I started paying attention to alternative media and, and what were then called conspiracy theories, which are now mostly just truths, right? It was really difficult for me when I would hit my edge when he would get to the point of like, yeah, and there's a very small group of elitists and I don't call them elites because they're not elite. They're not better than us. They are elitists as racists think they're superior to other races, elitists think they're superior to other social castes. The idea that there were these elitists that fundamentally sought to harm, if not exterminate, those of us in the lower caste, which is everyone that's not them and their bloodlines, that right. they literally wanted to kill us. That's the point at which I was like, okay, this guy has some good points. But when we get to that, that's my edge. Like, who? why would they do that? 
Why would they want to, uh, the, you know, eugenics and things like that? Why do they want to depopulate the planet? Who, who would want to do that? Why would you want to kill vast numbers of people through medical deception and medical tyranny and wars and all of the ways in which they seek to do so, apparently? And it was so hard for me to grasp that because I can't fathom wanting to hurt anyone like that. Okay, maybe someone flips me off in traffic and like, oh, I want to kill that guy. Three seconds later, I'm like, you know, I could make up with them and give them a hug. You know, like my bad, I, my emotions got the best of me. I, I, I'm not out to hurt people. I never have been. Now I have through my own ignorance and selfishness and things like that. But we're talking about people that view us civilians as useless cogs in the wheel that are just in the way and using up valuable resources that they can hoard and monetize. These are sociopathic criminals, by and large, that run the world. And yes. that is the place that people hit up against. And this is where the cognitive dissonance and the Stockholm syndrome kicks in when you feign uh, a health crisis worldwide by using the media. This is why you have people that just can't unplug from the reality that's being pushed forth and that not only willingly surrender their fundamental human rights, but also join in to vilify, punish, and ostracize those of us that are going, huh, this doesn't hit me right in the gut. This doesn't make sense. I don't trust the folks in charge that are exerting their power in such egregious and nonsensical ways. So it's about, well, it's not about reaching anyone really because you can't save everyone, but it's an interesting observation in human behavior to observe that the people that are joining the powers that be in this onslaught against humanity that I perceive to be what will end up being uh, <laughs> genocide, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> People are complicit in these efforts because they are good people and, and they're afraid. Yeah. And so a guy like me that posts something on social media or walks into the, the CVS without a mask, they would view someone like me as part of the problem rather than the solution because they care about people and they are still largely and innocently trusting in the idea that the entities that are in control of our world systems, whether it be the medical system, education system, the economy, trade, all that, religions, all that, that at the very top of that pyramid, that power structure, are people who not only don't care about the population of the world, about humanity as a whole, but loathe the population and seek to harm us. And I truly, truly believe that. And those that don't, I think don't, by and large, because they're not like that. And so when they buy into dogpiling on, you know, the, the lady at Walmart that walks in without a mask on her kid, and, you know, you see these fights on social media and you have this incredible division. Now we don't only have racial division largely brought about by the media amplifying stories in, in the ways that they do and omitting stories that don't fit that narrative. Uh, you have this amplification of the division between people that are, are 
signaling out of virtue or perceived self-virtue that they're on board with this program and they're going to get the shot and they're going to wear the mask and they're going along. And if you're not, you're vilified. it's a good thing to do. As a selfish person, um, all of this division is fundamentally created by further implanting into the collective human mind that we are, that we're not of one consciousness, but that we are further and further subdivided into these self identifications. You know, this idea of cultural Marxism, where you can't just be a white guy or a black guy or a gay person or a straight person. There's 45 different definitions that have, I don't know who brought them all in, right? But we're adopting them because of the human egoic desire to micro self-identify and to be special. There's this sense of specialness. And so the more people are further divided into their nationality, uh, their cultural beliefs, their religious beliefs, their gender identity, their, um, their uh, socio-political, their economic position, whatever, their style of dress, their style of music, whatever cultural norms they tend to adopt, the deeper we get into the self-identification with these subcategories and the powers that be that are infiltrating our education and media systems with these ideas and implanting them into the youth are well aware of this, that the divide and conquer principle becomes ever so more effective over time because now everyone is an other because there's very few of a me that have self-identified as this micro-identity when the fact is that you know from doing plant medicines, yeah. I'm sure I'm just going to assume this, that you're not a white guy named Daniel from can- Canada, okay? I'm nothing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm nothing. You know, I'm just me. That, that, that we are, and, and I really, really, this became so clear in my five MEO experiences, which have been fairly numerous as of late. I mean, it's just, you can't even put into words how obvious it is the felt experiential nature of consciousness that we have the opportunity because of the way God designed the universe that we can incarnate as something that appears to differentiate itself from other, right? And I'm going a bit deep in the weeds here, but it's, it is a way to summarize all of this is that the true identity of each one of us is an expression of God, an expression of consciousness. And we come in all of these beautiful different colors and we're we want to put our genitals in all kinds of different people and places and we live all over the planet and we have all of these artistic endeavors and all these ways which we differentiate to express God as our unique self. And what's being done is we're being blinded to our true nature, which is oneness and consciousness. And the work is not in further vilifying the people that you want to go wear a mask like wear a gas mask to like to target good for you if that makes you feel good i honestly support that if you want to get an injection every 3 days of an experimental dna altering medicine um i support that go for it i'm not going to procreate with you <laughs> but, <laughs> but go for it you know and because i know that that person that I disagree with and that person that I am tempted to vilify because they're complicit in the destruction of what, or the, what I perceive to be the destruction of humanity, frankly, um, they're only doing so because they've been led to believe that they are separate from consciousness and therefore they're separate from me and they're separate from others that they see as different. And 
the true solution to all of this can only be done on a one-by-one individual basis. And that is getting into the acknowledgement of truth of what and who we really are, which is a single, beautiful, unique snowflake expression of consciousness, of God, whatever you perceive God to be, of creation, right? When we're coming into our life experience from that perspective, the illusion of separation of a me and a them becomes so thin that it's virtually impossible to be at war with anyone. And that doesn't mean that you have to lie down and, um, and surrender your rights and what you believe is true because what each of us believes is true, right? And the, the fundamental principles that we believe in and fight for are also part of that individual expression. But when we know who and what we are, like I'm expressing myself right now and a lot of people listening to this might go, this guy is fucking crazy. I just watched CNN and there's the numbers are up. He, what is he talking about? This guy's evil, you know? Um, if that person listening was really in touch with who they are, they would just know that I am them and they are me and that we can have differences of opinion and perspective that are on the surface in opposition because we know the truth of who and what we really are. And the more we can wake people up and thank you so much for the work you're doing at Soltar of just unplugging you know, human after human from the matrix and showing them that there, there's a lot more going on than meets the eye and a lot more going on than we perceive on the surface through the lens of our senses and our personality and our intellects and our ego that who and what we really are is an infinite being with infinite potential, just like God, because that's what we are. And the more of us that can encourage people to find that truth about themselves, the less we're going to micro-identify and get caught up in the melodrama of right, wrong, left, right, black, white. I mean, it just right. all becomes so dumb. It does. It, it, it's just, it's, it's such a mm, shallow way to experience one's life. And I think that humans in general, as I described earlier, that have very high empathy and compassion that go along with the authoritarian narrative, even those people whose I think for the large part, hearts are in the right place, would start to unplug and think for themselves as autonomous single points of consciousness and start to value not only their own rights and freedoms, but also the rights and freedoms of others. And as you were indicating before, there's been this sort of polar shift of uh, what we would call conservative and liberal ideas. It's like it's it's gone backwards, it's gone upside down. And so my goal as a, as a person is to not be any of that, to just be me yeah, and, and to learn as I go and be willing to uh, correct my errors and mistakes along the way and to do my best to really treat people with kindness and fairness and um, even the people that I don't agree with and to speak my mind and also to surrender my addiction to um, being approved of and being popular or being famous or being right or being someone that people um, follow on social media or any of that, you know, during, during the course of this scamdemic, uh, you know, as I became a little more aware of what I perceived to be going on and become more outspoken, uh, yeah, I lost a few people and I've, I've gotten some, some trolls here and there and some people have not agreed and 
And that's fine. You know, and at first it was like, oh man, I better shut up. And I thought, no, that's that's the whole plan is to get people to shut up, to silence dissent. And uh, I don't, I don't, frankly, I don't need a hundred thousand friends. <laughs> you know, I don't. I, I really, my social circle, I'm good with four or five good friends that I love for who they are. They love me for who I am. My my wonderful fiance Allison, we love each other unconditionally. I've got a great family, relationships with my mom, my dad, my brothers. I don't really need that many more people. So if I come to that realization, then it gives me more courage just to express myself and also hopefully the humility to admit maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe this thing is something, for example, I'm just using this, our current supposed health crisis that there's no evidence of largely. Um, as an example, maybe I'm totally wrong, you know, and I'm open to someone proving me wrong. If someone can come show me statistics or show me a full morgue or, you know, bodies under the freeway because all the homeless have, have died of a, a virus or uh, third world countries that lack sanitation and medical supplies, if there were just bodies piled up and it appeared to me that we were really in a crisis, uh, or if the uh, government agencies and those in control uh, were recommending to people that um, we should increase our uptake of vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, that we should be out in the sun, that we should stop eating GMOs, aspartame, um, you know, canola oil. <laughs> we should stop eating poison if we should stop drinking fluoridated water and drinks. Like, hey, we need to wake up. We need to really get a robust immune system. If at the local drugstore they were giving out vitamin C IVs for free that were government or pharmaceutical corporations sponsored, you know, if if things were making sense to me intellectually, my mind could be changed. Right now, nothing intellectually, as open as I can be with my thinking, nothing intellectually has impressed upon me that what we're seeing and facing is real. What I'm seeing is that people are being divided and controlled and manipulated by the media by encouraging us to self-identify as different from other to the point where you have warring factions of people that are now were once fellow citizens. I'm yeah. just speaking of America in yeah. one country, right? Despite our differences and values and views political affiliations, et cetera, you have more division now than ever. And for me to think that that's just by accident is just a natural consequence of human behavior and tribalism. I don't buy that. I think that it's been very intentional because I've watched it go from the early nineties, especially in racial tensions during the Rodney King uh, trial and all of this stuff that happened in LA when I first moved there. And there was a lot of racial division. I had a black girlfriend for a number of years and we experienced a lot of problems with that. And then things smoothed out and everyone became much more copacetic. And again, this is my point of view as you know, a Caucasian dude. I'm, I'm sure others' stories would be different, that have different experiences. But just as an observer of the social interactions and phenomenon, uh, things were getting uh, much better to me. You know, Generally speaking, the way that we're all getting along and uh, now it's worse than ever. Why? Because because it, what was already there was exposed. No, I, don't, I just don't think that's true. I think that the media is complicit in the destruction of our Western culture's life ways, despite its in, flaws. I wonder if that's intentional or if, or if it's just for, for ratings, whatever gets the most emotion stirred up and the most eyeballs. Yeah, probably, probably both, you know. But, but anyway, to, to, to close that... that <laughs> you know, comprehensive rant. Um, <laughs> no matter what the problem is, Daniel, to me, the solution is the same. And the solution is in learning how to love oneself and to get to know your true identity. 
as a soul, as a spirit, and to learn how to operate in the world and in your life from that perspective. To emanate love, to be able to receive love, to love your enemies, to love the powers that be that I perceive to be evil, because what I perceive to be evil really is just people that are devoid of love and that don't have access to love. And so they seek to control and to exploit and to pop, possibly even exterminate people that they deem to be less valuable in their contribution. Uh, so no matter what the problem is, and no matter how many points I have right or wrong, it doesn't really matter because I, I know in my heart that the solution to it is right. And the solution is identifying our true nature. And when we identify that, there's nothing to do but love ourselves and love those that we are in uh, sharing space with as a, as a species, right? Well, that's a great segue to talk about your plant medicine experiences at Sultara. Um, so we got about what 15 minutes left. Um, do you want to close out on, on that? Like, like how your oh, experience man. was at Sultara and then, cause your path yeah. changed after like it legit changed. You started like working with some more plant medicines. You met, you you got <laughs> yeah. hooked up with Allison. And so, yeah, man, how was, how was yeah. that been? Oh man, that, that week was just such a turning point in my life, man. Um, there's so much to unpack there. And I, and I did a number of podcasts about that experience and inter- interview with you and Melissa and, and all of that for people that are, that are wanting you know, a more detailed account of it. But in hindsight, I think what was really interesting about the experience at Soltara versus my prior experience in Four Nights of Ceremony was the level of depth that I was able to explore because of the very traditional type of ceremony that you guys hold. The Shipibo healers coming in, the lack of uh, external stimuli in the ceremony, no lights, no recorded music, no instruments, candlelight, silence. I, when people ask me like, what was it like at Sultara versus other places or other experience? And I kind of liken it to, uh, it's almost like... <laughs> It's like a Zen monastery with ayahuasca, you know, just a lot of space and bandwidth to really explore within. And, and, and I love plant medicines with shaman that play music and, you know, it's very engaging and just takes you down these portals and all that. But my experience there was just, I had the opportunity to really do some deep work and to just go down into these nooks and crannies of my consciousness and, and frankly, my karma, where I came from, like what's motivating me, the patterns in my life that uh, don't serve me. And not only to be able to observe them and become aware of them, but to have the experience of knowing that they're being healed in the very moment of that discovery. One of the big takeaways for me on that trip, for example, was around relationships. And I have just, up until, I guess, really right after Sultara, Shortly after that, when I um, when the relationship with Allison moved from friendship into uh, non friendship or a deeper friendship, you could say friendship with benefits, uh, it was a lot of the patterns in my relationships that ended up being so hurtful to me and my partners and so dysfunctional. Ultimately, uh, were previously discovered as having much of their origins in my childhood experience with my mom in our relationship and things about that relationship that were dysfunctional. My mom loved me to death. I love her to death. But 
we were both going through our different periods in life as I grew up. And, uh, and I was also taken away from my mom uh, at 13, which I didn't even know that I had abandonment around that. And I'm, I would guess that she probably did too, right? Like it's not natural that you'd lose your son at 13. Um, but a lot of those relationships were, were sort of mirrors of that dynamic that I got to play out as an adult. And I would choose partners that fit a certain blueprint that unknowingly were helping me to work out those, those wounds and the trauma that I had experienced. And when I came to Sultara, I had just been in a relationship and it was a very different kind of relationship and it, it hadn't worked out. There were great things about it and there were things that weren't great, which is why it ended, you know, I guess for both of us. And in Sultara, I had this experience where I discovered these patterns that had actually developed out of experiences that I had with my dad when I was a kid. Mm. And I was totally unaware of that. And, th- and that was more, it's like more around the dynamics of, uh, let's use the framework of like the love addict and the love avoidant, right? I was always the love avoidant because I, I didn't want to be enmeshed with anyone. I didn't want to have any of my freedoms interfered with. I had a really hard time opening my heart. I didn't want to be abandoned. I didn't want to feel as though I was committed to something or trapped in something. And that had been a pattern that had developed um, throughout my adult life. And even when I tried to enter into a relationship where consciously I, I wanted to really connect with someone and commit and have a deeper and more intimate relationship, I found myself unable. But I had worked through that and became very available for that and then entered into a relationship where the dynamic kind of flipped. And I was the one that was kind of more needy and... Um, you know, wanting more out of the relationship and seemingly more available for intimacy and um, and my partner not as much and was more in the um, archetype that my dad held when I was a kid, which was not really available in that way. And, um, and in many ways, um, you know, sold myself out in an effort to love and be loved in, in the intention of being in a healthy relationship. And in the ayahuasca experience I had at Sultara, again, just one of the many epiphanies, it was revealed to me that this this other invisible to me pattern had developed as a kid through my relationship with my dad and that I was now choosing people that didn't fit the dynamic that I had with mom, but with dad. You know, you've heard the saying, perhaps, you know, you married your mommy, you married your daddy. And I never even considered that there was a romantic dynamic that could be played out based on the dynamic of my childhood experiences of my dad. And that was a huge awakening. And within that, discovered that that I had abandoned myself and that you know, my sense of autonomy and my sense of self-love had been so limited uh, through those experiences that had not been brought to the surface and hadn't been healed. And so I remember at one point, just really deep in the medicine, I was given the opportunity to go into my brain, my physical brain, into, into the mind, right? And enter into my brain with my consciousness and to almost physically in a psychic surgery kind of way to unravel neural connections that bound me to repeat that dynamic in relationships. Interesting. I mean, deep, deep work, man. Like. Yeah way down the rabbit hole. You know, you see a little bing, oh, I see this. And then through courage and trust in God and trust in the process, being willing to go to those really scary places like, ooh, ah, God. And sometimes I take a break. You know, I I sit up for a minute and I'm like, okay, I got to prepare myself. If we're going to go into this shit, 
medicine, God, whoever I'm talking to, higher self. Okay, you want to look at this? Okay, hang on. <sighs> Take a breath. All right, let's go. And then we go in there. And you know, I, I really went in and worked with my brain and my mind and build a relationship with it. And this would sound nuts to anyone that hasn't done this medicine, but it was such a powerful experience to go in and say, okay, hippocampus, there's all these memories stored in there. And when something similar happens, it's sending a message to the limbic system that's firing off cortisol and adrenaline and putting me in this fight or flight state that makes me lose my shit and all cognition that's based in reality. And I'm then now addicted to these sort of patterns and this whole thing. I mean, it's difficult to even account it in the time that we have. But I think the crux of that trip was in just really catapulting into a new level of relationship with myself and identifying. A lot of this is actually going to go in, in my upcoming book that I'm in the process of writing. So many of these epiphanies led to, oh my God, I found a really valuable key for people, including myself, to use. And ultimately what had happened throughout experiences in my childhood is that it wasn't that I had been abandoned, which I, I was in many ways, uh, like many of us have been. Uh, it was that I had abandoned myself. And so I, I never felt at home in my body and I never felt at home with other people. And there was always this invisible barrier just with friends and lovers. It's just like, even when I was with people, I felt alone. Mm. and and then I would enter into relationships that were hurtful to me <laughs> because I didn't really love myself enough to know that I and the partners that I was entering into those relationships with deserved better. And so there was a real coming home into my heart and finding that the home that I'd been looking for as a child that really wasn't there for me because of the circumstances surrounding both of my parents' lives and our relationship. Uh, the home that I had tried to find through my uh, years of addiction and alcoholism of just trying to piece together some semblance of comfort in my being. All of those efforts, as hurtful to myself and others as they were, were all due to the fact that I had never landed within my own heart. Mm. I mean, the heart of my soul, the heart of my body, the heart of my being, my spiritual heart, my sacred heart. I didn't even know I had one. And I sunk so deeply into my heart in that experience that from that moment on, the basis of not everything I do, because of course, you know, I go into my head or my ego here and there, you know, like, like anyone who's not fully enlightened would, but I know the sense of what it feels like to be performing from my heart. And in that conversation we've had today, I'm in my heart. This is where I live now. And I didn't even know that that was somewhere where one could live. And so it was really about finding my way home to where I didn't need a relationship. I didn't need status. I didn't need so many of the things I've used as crutches in the absence of that true sense of self. And so then following that, <laughs> of really entering into my heart in a more meaningful and permanent way, uh, shortly after that, I asked Allison on a date and, uh, and, through a, and through some other medicine experiences with peyote that we shared together, our relationship was just fast-tracked into what is the most fulfilling, uh, healthiest, just one, one of the best experiences of my entire life. I mean, I just, every day I'm in awe at who this person is. And in that reflection is, it's not just about who she is. It's about 
who I am that felt worthy of being in relationship with someone like her. That's awesome. That I found my heart and someone else who is equally in touch with their heart in the same way, or, you know, in their own way. Sure. That we found each other and have two autonomous people that don't need each other, but also need each other very much in the most positive and healthy sense, you know, because you have yeah. two people that are that are whole and healed and have really done some deep work. And the intimacy that we have available and the love that we have available because of the love we have within and for ourselves is just unfathomable. And it's something I didn't even imagine. Even if I knew that that was possible, and it's not about an other, you know, the other is again, just a reflection of what's in me. But even if I had known that that was possible, I would have never believed that it was possible for me. Hmm. Well, congratulations that I'm just, on that, man. I'm that I'm just, I'm, bro- I'm broken. You know, it's just, that's nice. Other people might find that within themselves someday, but like, I'm too far gone. And I'm just, you know, this lifetime is not about that for me. Uh, so, you know, thank you again for, for the work you guys are doing and just the incredible space that you were all able to hold um, the authenticity and integrity of the ceremonies and the ways in which the medicine was presented and used and the, um, you know, the level of care and safety and reverence for the whole experience. I feel so fortunate that I wasn't one of those people that went about the medicine route willy-nilly and just ended up in some, you know, less than ideal situation or an unsafe situation. I mean, I really had the space to do the work I needed to do. And as I said, uh, what made it, I think, so unique for me was just, it was the space. There's just, you're very self-led, right? And there's just a lot of solo time and a lot of time to really reflect and to go slowly and to work through your your journey and your ceremony, your own pace. And I remember just every night of, of the ceremonies there, I was always the last one there, which I always am, it seems. The sun would be coming up and I'd, I'd kind of come out of my journey and look up and I'm like, where is everyone? You know, the ceremony, like the, the, the technical end of the ceremony had been six hours earlier or something. And I'm just, I'm doing my thing out there and I'm just being left alone and going through my process. And, um, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And, and I haven't done ayahuasca since then. I felt, I don't know that I, maybe I will someday, but I felt really complete. I was like, okay. And then went on to explore a number of other medicines that have been just so profound for me, um, largely because a lot of the path was cleared during those four nights. I mean, a lot of heavy lifting was done. There was a lot of excavation of things that needed to be cleared out so that I could continue my spiritual growth. It was very, very fundamental and foundational in my experience. Man, that's, that's, uh, it's very heartwarming to hear and uh, very humbling to hear, you know, that, that you had that type of experience here. And um, it also makes me very happy because, you know, love and relationships are really the foundation for, for happiness and fulfillment in life. Like you don't want to have to be a needy person to need someone to love you in order to feel complete. But as humans, we simply need love. We need relationships. We need personal connection. And, and to, you know, to have played a part in enabling a more complete connection 
for you to to connect with yourself so that you can connect in a in a neutral way with with Allison or with others and for you two to have this bond where it's not like an interdependent maybe it's interdependent in a healthy way but um you know where it's it's not like a a, a some type of um deficit in each person that's being satisfied by the other person in an unhealthy yeah, way right yeah. which a lot of us experience yeah. where we're finding people in our lives to satisfy some kind of deficit that we feel internally but you know that's a beautiful thing man i i mean i can speak from experience too like the 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 medicine has really it's i mean i didn't even have a long-term girlfriend until i started working with ayahuasca when i was like 30 years old man you know and so you know i've basically had a long-term girlfriend ever since right because I just have have woken up to that fact of like, you know, yes, I do deserve love. Yes, I am a complete person. You know, I take I don't take life too seriously um, anymore. And and, you know, being able to actually feel confident in yourself to be responsible for someone else's heart, you know, for someone else to actually be vulnerable and and come into your life and um and depend on you to take care of your heart when you can actually um, feel feel um, competent and confident in your ability to do that responsibly is a beautiful thing. So, yes, it is, sir. Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, so uh, we're hitting time. Thank you all to our Instagram live community. Really appreciate you guys joining and. Um, Thank you, Luke, for making the time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I, I'm, so, I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you. And again, thank you for your patience and getting this together. It, the invite came at a time in, in when life was very tumultuous, to say the least. So it's been uh, it's been great to finally get this one on the books and get it done. And it's always a great experience for me, too, to just reflect and sort of reevaluate where I am and, and my perspective. I'm it's like the third ear is hearing me talk as you ask me questions and go, okay, okay. It's that's how I work things out really is by talking more so than thinking. And so thank you for, you know, helping me to further solidify my current view of some of the world affairs and things going on. And also just to remind myself that at the end of the day, nothing out there truly matters. It's all about the relationship with with myself and uh and my God. And if that's there to the degree that it is these days with me, I feel like I could handle just about anything. Right on, man. Good stuff. I can't wait to get this out to the world. We're good to go. All right, man. Great to see you, dude. You too. Peace out. All right. Bye. The Daniel Cleland Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Daniel Cleland Podcast. We truly enjoy you sharing your time with us if you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed sharing it with you please like the episode review the podcast subscribe if you're not already subscribed these likes and reviews and subscriptions are the lifeblood of our show so free for you super important for us like subscribe and review Thank you so much. Of course, this podcast would not be possible without the continued amazing sponsorship of Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. If you feel called 
to work with plant medicines, ayahuasca, shamanismo, curanderismo, from Peru, from the Peruvian Amazons to Costa Rica. Check out Soltara Healing Center at soltara.co or conveniently 1-800-397-1730 or look us up on social media at Soltara Healing Center. All kinds of great content, nonstop, coming out, down the pike, every day, just for you. Thanks again so much for joining. I appreciate it beyond words, and I look forward to doing many more of these episodes for you and connecting. If you want to reach out to me, there's a contact form on my website, danielcleland.com. Feel free to hit me up. I read every email and try to respond to all of them. Thanks again. Much love to you, and I hope we get to catch up soon. All the best.